Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Why do some people seem to be magically successful? Do you feel like you're doing what you were put on this earth to do? And if not, what are you doing to hold yourself back? My coach, Rich Litvin, is here to discuss our addiction to struggle, why it's so damn hard to ask for help, and why some succeed while others won't. Good day, sir. How are you? <laughs> good day. I'm good, thank you. I'm good. <clears throat> um, sorry about that. I, I realized I've got a bit of a cough this morning, so I'm just, I've got water with me just in case. No problem. No problem. Well, I'd come up with this big agenda for stuff to us to, for us to talk about today, but I'm willing to throw that out the window and explore some other things too. So uh, I want to check in with you before we get started. Is there anything you feel you want to bring up, you want to talk about? Um, well, what's most fun for me right now is this, this whole world of um, working with the, the highest performing people on the planet and, and r- realizing that high performers are held back in the ways that most other people are not. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see that in some of the people in 4PC. Uh, you, you, you know, I mean, you've interviewed lots of these high performers. I just read an interview with Reed Hoffman. So he's, he's $4.75 billion net worth created LinkedIn and PayPal and a huge entrepreneur and, and, and venture capitalist and philanthropist. And in an interview with the New York Times, he said, you know, I'm only operating at 60%. And, and the, 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 the New York Times um, uh, woman who, who was interviewing him, I think she misunderstood. She thought he was saying, I- I'm exhausted. That's why I'm only operating at 60%. But what I've realized working with high performers is that it's the guilty little secret that most of us carry around. That actually, it's like everyone around us is saying how amazing we are, and it's like if only you knew. I'm not actually working that hard. What and what do you think that is? What's going on? Um, I I think when you are able to work in your zone of genius, um, life's easy, and then you judge yourself for it, and 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 you got no one to speak to, no one to kind of check in with and and, and talk about to that. You know, like like who else do you speak to about that? And and some of this stuff we just carry with us because we think we're not supposed to say anything like that. 
So I've been working on all these different distinctions around what it, what it looks like to be those highest performers. I was, uh, a friend of a friend is a billionaire, and, and he was saying one of the problems he says, sees in his multimillionaire friends is they're not dreaming big enough, which is another like, mind flip. Hang on a second. These guys are doing things most people on the planet could never do. But actually what he's saying is, yeah, but they're actually held back from what's even more of what's possible because they're not dreaming big enough. And I've been looking at all these, there's a whole range of distinctions I've been pulling out that, that, that are present when you are that kind of high performer. So that, that's what I'm excited about, but I'm happy to talk about anything. Let's go, no, let's go there because let's just keep going. So, because I love this parallel between guys that, and men and women that we put on a pedestal and I think that's, an, you know, I don't think that's the best way, obviously, but we we can create this story. Well, that guy has something I don't, and that guy is uh, wired differently, or he's got different problems, or whatever. We just create some story that that's not me, and and what I'm hearing you say is no, that w- those people are a lot sim- more uh, they're more similar to the rest of us than we may we believe. And I I, I just like to to level the playing field there. I want the guy that's listening right now to say. Shit, I'm I'm just like those guys too. Like, well, what else is possible for me? That's what I want to increase the, what he sees possible for himself. So, what are what are some of the big hangups? So, so you you might hate what I'm about to say, but I don't think that's true. I actually think it is the opposite of that because I think most people are not living in their brilliance. It's not they don't have ac- they don't have access to it, but they're not living in their brilliance. So 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 in a way, I am talking to the people who are listening who are the highest performers. And whilst other people will get value from listening to this. It may not be for them unless they're able to unleash their brilliance, unless they're able to find a way to work in their zone of genius. Um, well, let's talk. A- let's define that because uh, you know Gay Hendricks has talked about zone of uh, zone of competence, zone of incompetence, right? The things we suck at, zone of competence, the things we can do, but we're better off hiring a plumber to do the, the plumbing. Yep. And then there's our zone of excellence, which is what most of us. Are you know if it's the ideals where people are kissing our ass, we get paid to do that, and people are like, man, they, they keep sending us clients in that place, or they keep whatever the world is conspiring to keep us in that place of uh, our zone of excellence. But then there's our, our zone of genius. So how would you describe the zone of genius? Well, let's let's go back to your zone of excellence for a, for a second, because you said the world is conspiring to keep us there, and we're also conspiring to keep ourselves there. Right. So there's our zone of excellence is that stuff we do really, really, really well. And so we get acknowledgement for it, we get praise for it, we do it well. To work in your zone of genius is really challenging. So my wife, uh, you know, Monique, she's a, she's a yeah. jazz singer, she's a performer. She used to come back from gigs and I would say to her, how was it? And she'd say, it was terrible. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And I'd ask more questions and I realized I was always asking her the wrong question. When I would say to her instead, after a gig, I'd say to her, hey, babe, how's it, how's it going? What did they think of it? What do they think of the performance? And when I asked that question, she'd always go, oh, they loved it. They thought it was amazing. I got praise from this person, praise from that person. Mm. But when I asked, what it, you know, how did it go? She's fantastic at what she does, but she's so self-critical because that's what's helped her be a genius in her art. Right. The, the one note wrong, and she comes down on herself like a ton of bricks. Uh, one, one word that was missed, nobody even noticed, but she did. That's why it's so hard to work in our zone of genius. Because we're judging ourselves so much. Um, and, and so we also conspire to keep ourselves in our zone of excellence rather than the zone of genius. Zone of genius is that, is, it, it's, it, here's the other crazy thing about it, right? It's, it's, it's easy to work in our zone of genius. It's what do you mean easy. by that? What do you mean by that? Well, it's effortless. It's not hard. So, so I'm, 
Oh yeah, I'm yeah. A, like if, like if we need effort. Or, I think some of us are get into a place where we think we need. It's got to be hard. And if we have, if we, if we're creating success or we're in that flow, then something's wrong. If we're not struggling, if we're not creating some kind of struggle for ourselves. I got that message when I was a little kid. Like you're supposed to work hard. I remember I was 11 years old, or 10 years old. And suddenly my parents tell me I had to study for a scholarship exam. Right. I didn't even know what an exam was, trip, let alone a scholarship. But it was like, no, to get into high school, we want you to get this scholarship because it'd be hard to pay for us to pay. And it was a Christmas vacation. And I sat there every day when my brothers are playing outside and, and I would hide my comic books behind my textbooks. And every time my dad would walk in the door, I'd pretend I was reading. And I think I've spent the rest of my damn life pretending I'm working hard. Mm. But the truth is... When I'm in my zone of genius, it is effortless mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it's so fun and, and it's not difficult and it's not challenging and amazing stuff happens. But, but I think I have to make it look like I'm working hard. Yeah. I actually feel really guilty if I come home and I've had a, a really great day and it's been really fun and easy. I, I catch myself saying it's been a hard day. It's been challenging. It's like I'm not supposed to say it's been an easy day. Yeah. The culture is, it, there's, the, there's the bubble that we live in that it's hard. We've got to make it hard. And if it's not hard, we're doing something wrong. We're cheating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that for me is the zone of genius. Is when, when, when you're working at your, what, what you're brilliant at, then, then life isn't challenging. Yeah. And that's really hard because you start saying it to your buddies and your friends and they find that really challenging. Yeah. And so we don't want to have those conversations. So we try and hold this back. Yeah. And, and not not talk about that. I used to catch shit from people when uh you know pre- before I became a coach I had a I designed my company so that I could travel and and play in a band and do all that kind of stuff and people just like thought like I was like I might as well have been selling drugs or something. There was this like how are you doing that? It's not fair. There was this like I could feel this pressure and there was times where I wanted to minimize that. I wanted to diminish it and I would not talk about how fortunate I was and how I had designed my business so that I could go do the fun things that I wanted to do. And, um, but I could feel that kind of social cultural pressure to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good catch. That's a good catch. Or, or just even to minim, minimize that, you know, I, I worked in, when I was 20 something, I went to live in Botswana in Africa and spent two years teaching in a little village, um, came back two years later and, and met my friends in London. And, and unless people had traveled, they found it really hard to conceive of what I'd done. And one person said, oh, how was your vacation? And I've, been, I've been doing this, still making a difference, you know, doing this stuff, living yeah. in, in, in the bush, really. Uh, my kids were t- lived in huts made of mud. Um, and, and for them, it was just easy to say, how was your vacation? Because they didn't want to conceive that it was possible to go out and do something different in life. And then when I came back, everyone said, well, now you've got that out of your system, right? And it was like, no, I happen to love traveling. I went again a couple of years later. I went and lived in Brunei in Southeast Asia for four years this time. Um, not quite, quite the same conditions. I, I taught the Sultan of Brunei's son, so it was very different. Um, yeah. but, but I still, like, I have a love of adventure, a love of travel. And, and when you show up from that place where what you're doing is fun, it does challenge people because I think it makes them halt in their tracks. If you can do what's fun, if you can live a great life for yourself, it means they can too. And rather than acknowledge that, that they're not living a great life, they're not having fun, they're not doing what they'd love to do, not living in their zone of genius, it's easy to kind of, kind of look down on you, dismiss what you're doing as you're, you know, you're, you're, you're an outlier or something unusual about you or you'll get it out of your system soon. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that when I, when I talk to a, a, someone that, a, that might end up becoming a client, that's one of the things that I listen for. Are they going to get in their own way? 
we can have a conversation about what they want, but are they going to sandbag it? Are they going to sabotage it? If there's that belief in there that says, I can't really have that. I've got to have a struggle. I've got to, I've got to defeat myself in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, I filter that out. Uh, you know, I'm a coach too, and I only work with high performers, and and and, and I just I filter that out. I don't, you know, it, it's not part of the conversation for me. I, basically, the way, the way I put it is, if you think you need a coach, I'm not the guy for you. If you think life is already extraordinary, then you and I should have a conversation. And so, what do you, from that perspective, what do you think that there? What's the difference there? You, the key word here is need. So, what does need mean in that context? Well, and this is just for me. There's a, I just know there are many different kind of coaches out there. So for me, uh, if, if, there's, if there's a sense of neediness, that's yeah. not the kind of client I, I want to work with. When, when they're in a place of struggle, there are plenty of coaches who will work with them. For me, I've never seen coaching as remedial. It, 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 it can be. If you're having a struggle, if, you, if life is challenging, it's great to have a coach. Mm-hmm. But, the, but what I like to say is but if, if you're already having fun, if life is already extraordinary – Imagine what would happen if you and I sat down and had that conversation. Yeah. And, and when I work with high performance, I've worked with everyone from Olympic athletes to people in British special forces to two presidential candidates uh, a year or so ago. These people don't need support. One of those women, the presidential candidate, she had um, three master's degrees, a PhD. She was a millionaire, ran a multi-million dollar business and, and, had, and, and had three kids, no, four kids, and had a bodyguard 24 hours a day because the, the clean energy platform she was running on in her country uh, meant that her life was in danger. And, and like any one of these things was amazing to me. And, and yet we sat down and had this conversation and her possibilities were expanded. She mm-hmm. saw things that she couldn't have seen just from the way she was looking at it herself. Right, right. Let's go back to something. We started off this conversation and we, there was a distinction there. The guy that's listening and then painting this picture of these high performers, what you call high performers, I want to I want to draw out the distinctions between the two because I want that guy to say, oh, if I if I want to expand these possibilities in my life, then I want to recognize the limiting bullshit. You know, we've and we've cu- uncovered one here with this uh, this uh, this thing that I need to suffer. So, what are some of the other things that you see? And you're like, that guy's just not going to perform until he can make that shift mentally. What are some of the other things that that you see that pop up that keep people from really stepping into their zone of genius? Well, it's challenging. There's a little story about this that I love. That a man uh, went to see Beethoven and said, Beethoven, um, can you help me? I, I would love to write a symphony like you've done. Um, I want to write an amazing, uh, amazing symphony. And, and he, Beethoven was like, well, you know, why don't you start with something small? Uh, why don't you just, you know, put a few notes together, make a little tune? And, and the man looked at Beethoven and said, but Beethoven, you were writing symphonies when you were four years old. And he looks back at him and says, I know, but I never asked anybody how. So there's a little challenge in there for, for, for people who are like, want to know how. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, for me, it's like, you know, a little bit of this has to, has to come from them. It's like, it isn't like, well, what book do I read? What, do I, what, what path do I follow? It's like the path is inside, not on the outside. It, it, you know, some, somebody said to me the, the other day, they said to me, look, Rich, I, I, I love what you uh, uh, teach around leadership, but actually I, I do disagree with some of your views. And I said, that's, that's interesting because I don't really have any strong views on leadership. My views change all the time, depending on the situation, depending on the person I'm talking to. The only, the only principle that I believe in, the only principle I ever teach is, is one that's illustrated, you've heard this before, it's the, the theme tune I play at my events, it's Sammy Davis Jr. singing his song, I Gotta Be Me. 
the only principle I ever teach is be you. Mm. So if, if someone's coming to you and say, how do I become brilliant? It's like, well, what are you really brilliant at? That's what I'm interested in. It's not like, what, what else do I need to do? It's like stripping everything else away to come back to what's your genius. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it is more of a, of a reduction process. Yeah. reducing all the stuff that we've taken on over the years and things that we've told ourselves, like it's, we have to suffer or it's got to be hard or I've got to be this in order to be loved. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is more of that reduction process for sure. And it, maybe it's not so much the how, but it is, is there just a way to look at, to compare the, if we could jump into the head of, of one of these high performers, or we could jump into the head of one of these people that is like bumping their head against the wall how do they see the world differently? What are some of the distinctions you've seen that are common? Uh, so, so one of the things is that they experience exponential success. Like, like stuff seems to be, it looks like magic to everyone else around them. Uh, they live on this exponential curve and it's very steep. And, and you know, everyone's admiring them, um, but inside it, it, it feels like they've got this dirty little secret. Most of them are judging themselves for being lazy. And, and that's, that's what happens when you live on this exponential curve. And, and most, people, most people have access to that. Um, this isn't uh, a video, so I can't really show you the picture. But if you can imagine an exponential curve or, or put it into the show notes, it starts off very, very sh uh, shallow. It's almost right. like a straight, straight line, a horizontal straight line. And then it goes up very steeply. So most of us are living on that horizontal line and, and we quit too early. Because even if you're living on the exponential curve, it feels exactly the same until you suddenly shoot up. Mm -hmm. So the, the difference for, for, for many people who, who don't consider themselves high performers is they quit too early. They don't know when to stay in the game hmm. or they don't know when to, when to quit that game and start a different game. So that's one of the challenges is it, it can seem to many people that, 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 you know, that this is interminably long. And when, is, when is this ever going to happen? I'm done. I'm out. And, and, and actually the exponential curve, uh, most of the high performers know that like, sometimes I stay in the game and it looks like uh, I'm getting no results for, for, many, for many years, for a long time. And then suddenly everyone called, I wrote an article recently, I don't know if you read it, I, I called the article Mastery and the subtitle was How to Become an Overnight Success as a Coach in 46 Years. Right. <laughs> because really in five years I went from, from having clients pay me a couple of dollars to working with these, these high performers around the planet. And, and yeah, but it, it wasn't five years. It was everything I've ever done. Right. It was going back to that first time when at 20-something years old, I took a risk and went off to live in Africa for the first time. Um, it, all of that is in me. All of that's what's helped me to become who I've become. So I've had my ups and my downs along that journey. Yeah, I think I, one of the things I like to remind myself and others is that success looks like failure in the middle. Like that, that time where you just feel like this isn't going anywhere and it's stuck and this is the throw in the towel. It's like, well, what if you expected that? What if you expected that at this point it was just going to seem like you're not going anywhere and you just keep, you just keep hammering at it and keep going at it. But I love what you said about bringing your life experience into this. That's why I love my coaching is that it's not so much people ask, did you get a certification? Did you do this and that? It's like, man, no, it's all the crazy shit that I've created yes. with my life that I've really brought into this. I bring in that way more into it than anything that I've really read or even these interviews that I do. It, it's just been so much about life experience and being in those places where I'm like, I'm fucking really frustrated right now. I'm sick of this. I can go into those places and, and draw on those experiences years later when, when my clients are going through that stuff. Then that's what makes you an extraordinary coach, that you have more than just 
some kind of qualification or some piece of paper. You can get a piece of paper in, in, in a weekend or, or online in five minutes that calls you a coach. Right. What makes you a coach is, is you have a, a lifetime of experiences, is that you're willing to say things to people that no one else would dare to say. I think those are some of the keys to being a great coach. Yeah. Let's talk about achievers because I, I have an issue with achievers and, and, and achievers get, get um, celebrated a lot in our culture. And I also see that it's, it's as coaches, they're fair game, you know, that we can always point out the, the next thing that the rat racer can do. There's always an, a motivation there for them to create some bigger goal or to compare themselves to others. Um, even Simon Sinek, he did, uh, what was the, the, the leaders Solid eat last? Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. he did leaders eat last too. And he yeah. talks about how we can be addicted to this dopamine rush. Um, yeah. And, and, and so there's a shadow side to this, what are we doing out in the world? And, and more and more, I'm realizing that I'm just not inspired. Like when I, I hear some people come up with their vision, it's just not inspiring to me. Uh, whereas when they're doing something that's more beneficial or in service of others, I find that that's where I get inspired. So I'm curious if, if you've noticed some of that as you talk to people and have that discernment around what is it that inspires you about their vision? Is it really just that it's a big vision and it's something bold and it would get a lot of attention or is there a depth to it? Well, there's a word that's important to me, um, the word impact and even the word behind that, the word legacy. I, I, I like to work with people who, who are, who want to make an impact in the world, a real positive impact in the world. It doesn't, I've always said, you know, I, I don't want to be on Oprah. Um, I, I want to coach Oprah. And, and, and she's just, she's just a, an example for, for me of, of someone who's making a great positive impact in the world. And, and that, that's what fascinates me. People are making a difference in that way. People who come from service, uh, service and serving, uh, it's a value that's really important to me. I've yeah. got an entire business based on that one word. I wake up every morning and I say to myself, we're going to serve today. So, so uh, service is another value of mine that's important. I look for that in my clients too, how they, how they serve in the world. Yeah. Well, I just noticed that for a lot of people, especially there's these guys that are hitting this turning point in their lives, they're contacting me and said, hey, I've, I've been able to create so much. I've, I've built this company. I've built these companies. I've sold them and I'm in this now what place. And they're looking at it from this limiting perspective of what's the next ladder to climb? What's the next goal to knock down? They have yet to really ask themselves that question. What's the impact that I want to create? What's the legacy that I want to lead? What's, how do I want to serve? Um, and it requires them to integrate a part of themselves that they may have had to to diminish to in, in order to do that. They may have had to diminish their empathy. They may have had to diminish their sense of heart or their caring for others in order to be so strong, in order to be uh, and to, to go out and achieve these great things in the world. They've had to kind of cut off their emotional intelligence in some way. So that's been one of the things that I've been working with guys on is like, well, how can you how can you integrate this power to be able to go and do amazing things, but also increase your emotional intelligence and your empathy to serve? And I've it's been amazing. Some of the, I've, I have a guy that he's a self-confessed shark. He said that he, other people saw him as a shark, and now he's creating, you know, the offering that he's, he's working to create in the world is, is something that really serves people, and it, and it challenges him to have heart in that. But it, the, one of the things he told me was uh, he just didn't believe that he could be successful and have a heart. And nice. I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how many people are walking around on this planet that are in that same place, and then no wonder why they're feeling empty, no wonder why they're feeling a lack of fulfillment or any real sense of direction do you do you ever bump up against that kind of thing? Well, I do. For me personally, yeah. You know, look for my, for me, my story is that that I um, for most of my life, I was trying to prove myself to my dad. 
my dad passed away in October last year, and and it was I was there with him at his bedside when he passed away. It was it was a really really challenging time, but literally almost the moment he died, my uncle, his brother, who was in the room, said to me and my two brothers who were there, "Look, you know you you know how proud your dad was of you," and and the truth was like. No, I didn't. I spent my whole fucking life trying to prove myself to my dad. And in the weeks that followed, almost the, 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 all the feedback I got from people was like, you, you know how proud your dad was of you. And, and I'd spent my whole life trying to prove myself to my dad. And, it, you know, at some point it became, it wasn't my dad, it was the voice in my head that sounded like my dad. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, what, what, what drove me was this unhealthy way of p- performing. I, I, I learned to... I, I learned to become a performer so that you'd like me. I had this kind of inbuilt scanner inside my body that's always scanning like, are you going to like me? Um, uh, how am I going to prove myself to you? Because you know, proving yourself is the opposite side of uh, someone being proud of you, right? I, if I prove myself, then you'll be proud of me. Mm. And so that constantly on driving me on the inside of these little sensors, checking out, do you like me? Am I okay? Am I safe? Um, uh, are you going to be proud of me? And, and it wasn't a very healthy place it came from. And, and I've learned that, you know, there were some gifts in that. Like I've learned to be a powerful speaker, a powerful presenter on a stage. I can speak in front of hundreds of people and hold the audience in the palm of my hand. Right. I know how to do that. And, and I'm learning how to let go of doing that from this unhealthy place. And, and, and yet it still drives me. So the, the piece I don't want to tell you is in my men's group recently, we've been working on like what's, what's our shtick? What's that thing that, that does drive us? The, the way of being we have in the world, that when we show up from that way of being, um, it, it, helps us to, it helps us to live a great life, but it's also precisely what's holding us back. Mm. And we've come up for each man with a name for, for that, that kind of archetype. So there's a man in our group called Hidden Tantrum. There's a man in the group called Hollywood Jesus. There's a man in the group called fu- <laughs> Fucking Shoot Me because <laughs> every time he opens his mouth, it's always about the disasters going on in his life. I and mean, he's extraordinary, the things he's up to in life, but the disasters are what come out first. Mm. So, so what I really don't want you to know about me is that the name they came up with me, and we always knew, we knew we'd got there with each man when everyone in the group went, oh, yeah, that's them. And the man himself was like, I hate that. That's not me. That's you so have not got it. I hate it. Mm. The name they came up with me is um, Catwalk Garbo. Catwalk <laughs> captures the performer and Garbo, like Greta Garbo, who famously said, I want to be alone. Mm. And I was on stage two days ago, or two weeks ago rather, at the Association of Transformational Leaders. People like Jack Canfield are in the room, some of the top uh, coaches and trainers on the planet, authors as well. And, and I was emceeing for the day. And I got off at the end of the day and I realized, oh my God, that Catwalk Garbo was was she was the one who holds the room in the palm of her hand. I can be this performer. And even I was making jokes about the fact that I'm a bit of an introvert and, and I find it a bit challenging at these, event, these events. And there was the, the, uh, the Garbo part of me that, you know, I, I want to be alone. And I realized that really draws people to me because I'm a bit, a bit intriguing to people. They want to know more and they're drawn to me. And it's like, holy shit, mm-hmm. that, that's my way of being. It really is. And there's a gift in there. But for whatever's coming next, how do I let go of that? Well, is it let go or is it integrate? Like just love it up, but not let, you know, Catwalk Garbo be the, the master of it. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's both. I think, I think it is let go by, by beginning to own it more. That's why I'm, I'm even sharing it with you. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got irritated with the guys in my men's group the other day because they, they called me out for not going to the group on Monday night. And I, I, I 
said, you don't understand, guys. Like, I've been looking after my two kids for the last five days. I'm worn out. I've used every childcare resource we have. And somebody wrote back and said, you know, you're a powerful man. You can make anything happen. And why haven't you done? You, you, could, you can get childcare if you want. <laughs> and I wrote back, effectively, I fuck you. And I said, you, like, guys, I've just come through the most challenging six months of my life. I've, I've, my father passed away. I had to fly to England there and back twice in, in a couple of weeks. Um, I had to, uh, we just went back to scatter his ashes. Uh, having a one-year-old and a three-year-old has been really challenging. I've just launched the biggest program I've ever done um, f- for his top group of coaches, and I'm worn out. And somebody wrote back and said, this is interesting, Rich. How comes we're your closest guys to you on the planet? We meet every week. Well, we've, done it, we've done so every week for six years, and we didn't know this has been the most challenging six, six months of your life. Hmm. And it was like, oh my God, like I see like how I show up sometimes is that I don't need help. Mm-hmm. I've got it. And, and I, I've been there for every man in my men's group trip. I've coached every one of them. I've supported every one of them. I will be there for them. But me, not a single one of them has been able to support me because I don't let that in. That's actually, I just realized, <laughs> of course, I should have realized that's on my list of one of the things that high performers do is like, you don't need help and, 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 and you don't. Because people are astounded by what you create. You're one of the highest achieving people anyone knows. But because you keep support out, you're missing out on something. Mm. <laughs> we teach what we most need to learn, right? Yeah. It's just dawning, just dawning on me. I've written that. I hadn't even seen it in myself till this very week where I realized, oh, my God, I, like I, I, I don't let that in at all. I just don't let that help in. Yeah, yeah. You and me both. You know, and, and I've yeah. even caught myself in our dynamic where – you've told me, reach out, talk to me. And I just, and it doesn't occur to me. It's like, I'll be just struggling and spinning around. And then it's like, you know, I'm all alone and I'm the only guy. And it's like, oh no, I could reach out to Rich. I could, I could get help. And that's terrifying. There's a part is like, oh no, he's no, no, I don't want to buy. I was like, (laughs) we have a professional relationship. I could call, you know, it's great. I I say it to my clients all the time. It's funny. You know, people say to me, I have what I call a virtually unlimited coaching agreement with my clients. It means whenever you need me, you can call me. I might not pick up in that moment. Whenever you need me, contact me. If you need extra time, let me know. And people think like, how do you do that? How can you offer so much time? Well, the kind of people I work with on the whole don't even need that time. But when they do, they, they, they feel bad to even ask for it. So I'm yeah. usually the one going to them saying, hey, do you need anything? Can I be there for you? What do you, what do you need? Mm. So yeah, we're not alone. It's been a lesson for me to learn how to receive. I think that's at the core of this is um, I can push and I can perform and I can create and I can just, I can be the provider for my family and push, push, push. I can do that really well. And it's a real challenge for me to receive. It's, it's, and that's been the work, like for me to really learn how to receive. And it feel, I feel like a toddler learning how to walk sometimes. It feels really awkward and I fumble over my words asking for things or my wife offering me things like tonight I figured I would do this for you. And it's like, well, I don't know, well, shouldn't we? I don't know. And I just, you know, complete bumbling idiot. And she's like, no, that's it. We're going to do this. You're going to learn how to receive. So I'm glad it, I, I think it's great that we've got to have people in our lives that we tell on ourselves. I've got guys in my life that know that I do this and hide out and they, they poke and prod me. And is this that thing you're doing where you push yeah. away love? Is this that thing you're doing where you push away? Um, yeah, I guess it is it, at, at the core of it, it really is love. You know, am I lovable again? Can I, am I worthy of receiving it? So, yeah, yeah, this, this definitely is a worthiness thing deep at heart for me. Um, uh, you know, one of the, somebody challenged me recently on this cause I said, this is going to be the year of receiving. And he said, Rich, there's something that comes before receiving that you just don't get yet. It's availability. 
And I was still sitting with that one. He said, you, you, you can't receive until you're even available. And I, I, that one's really kind of sitting with me like, like what does that even mean for me? Because I thought, you know, rece- receiving was like, oh, well, I can work on that one, right? I can be active on receiving. Right. That's another project, right? That's yes. another goal. But it's yeah. like there's availability which comes before that, which is like a softer concept. It's just, just the openness. And, yeah. and I realized that that's not, it's just not present in my world. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 can, I can really, I can, I can totally relate to that. There, there are times where things are peaceful, things are aligned in my life, and there's just a thing like, can I, can I open to this? Is it okay? And I, I think for me, there's this part of like, if I do, like somehow the rug's going to get pulled out from under me. There's a, there's a defensiveness that I have with that of if I allow this in, if I even just allow myself to be open to whatever the world could bring to me, I, it's going to be taken away. There's some, there's some weird thing in there. Uh, yeah, isn't it crazy? It's, it's, that, it's that thing we desire, but we push it away. Uh, and, and the thing we push away is the thing we want. It, it's, it's, there's a loop in there somehow that, that we can't. And we can't get there on our own. That's the thing I've realized. That's why I always have my own coaches, um, because I, I can't sit in my men's group too, and I have other people who speak their truth to me. You know, it's, it, again, it's one of the things, particularly for the highest of performers, they miss out on the truth. Like the higher you rise, the harder it becomes for people to open up with you, to really speak their truth to you. And, and so for many of us, we, we, we don't have people in our world. And our friends and our family who love us the most, the challenge with really loving someone is we want to keep them safe. And, and, and safety isn't necessarily the path that we need to be going on. There, mm. There's a lovely book I've been reading about uh, raising children. It's called Unconditional Parenting. And, and the author um, g- was getting off an airplane and they noticed a woman in front of him speak to another, another person, a mother. And she said, your child was lovely on this flight. And he realized what she meant was your child didn't make any noise, didn't disturb us. Mm-hmm. Well, as parents, right, we want to, most of us want to raise, raise our kids to be independent thinkers, to speak truth to power, to take risks, uh, to become leaders, to, to, to do challenging things in life. And yet, how are we raising them? Well, you know, and I see with myself, like I want to wrap my kids up in cotton wool because I love them so much. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happens with our friends and our family. You start telling your friends about the projects you're up to, the, you tell your family what you're up to and the, the big thing you're doing next. And like, hey, are you sure you should do that? Yeah. Don't you want to stick with this one? And, and, and it's hard to surround yourself with truth tellers. What a gift. And how few of us have real truth tellers in our lives. Well, let's talk about that because I, I know where I think my parents were well-meaning, but I also, it, it's, I've, I've, I'm still to this day working through those, that imaginary father voice in my head telling me, do this or do that instead of go for your zone of genius. So uh, how are you, what are you thinking about when you, when you think about your sons, what are the, do you have a little, like a little list of things? That, okay, I got to make sure my boys learn this. What, what's the thing you want your boys to take away? Oh, it's kind of like the opposite of everything that I, I, I naturally think for them. Like if I, I, I get fearful when they're running on concrete. Um, <laughs> I, I get afraid that one is one's one and one's three and they start to pushing each other around and I catch myself like, hey, hey, stop that, guys. Don't push each other. Don't. And it's like, why not? Uh, you know, I, I, I used to do martial arts and one of the things that my teacher uh, taught me is you have to learn to take a punch. Mm. You can do all these great high kicks if you like and clever uh, moves, but if you can't take a punch... The first time you're in a fight and someone hits you, you're going down. So I had to learn to get bruises and, and, and be okay. I don't, I don't really subscribe to no pain, no gain, but there's something in there like, like life 
will sometimes knock you down. If you've never been do- knocked down because you've, you've been protected your whole life, how are you going to know what it's like to like, you, have to, you said it earlier, right? That the failure is part of success. Failure is not the path, but it's part of success. Mm-hmm. So I, I want, the only thing I want for my boys, right? I, I don't care if they go to great colleges or universities or, or what they do in life. I want them to have something I never had as a kid, a sense of inner confidence. I was always afraid. I learned, people are surprised when they hear me say that because they say, oh, you're so confident. No, for most of my life, I learned to look confident. I was always afraid on the inside. I was always hoping you'd like me, trying to prove myself to you. Mm. And then when I became a coach, I spent a year traveling the the world, interviewing what I called the world's most confident people. I met people who'd been on Oprah's show. I met a man who got paid to break into banks for a living, uh, literally, physically, like, like a, uh, one of those uh, cat burglars. Uh-huh. Um, and, and these are some of the most naturally confident people I'd ever met. And what I realized was a couple of things. First of all, that confidence is a result. It's not a requirement. Yeah. You do not need it first. And, and, and it comes later. Whatever you're up to next is going to feel scary and going to feel edgy. And these days, I've realized that's actually my compass. If something feels a little bit edgy, it tells me it's the direction to go in, not the direction to turn away from. Yeah, yeah. And, and the it, other it, thing I've re- realized about confidence, the last one I said on, on confidence, is that confidence is just feeling comfortable in your own skin. That's what I want for my boys. Hmm. They just feel comfortable in their own skin. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the confidence part. I think that's hard for me as a parent to recognize the confidence that is the result of having those knocks and getting back up or taking punches. And um, But it's... It's true. I, I, it's going to be a, a tough path, but that's what I want for my daughter too. You know, I've had oh, some, it, I've it had some break, rough... breaks my heart for my older boy right now. He's such a sweet little boy. I watch him. I take him to preschool and he says hello to everybody. Mm. And he says some hello to some of the older kids. I saw him yesterday. And he said hi to one of the boys. And, and sometimes people don't know how to respond when someone's really that friendly and this kid just ignored him. And what do I say to my son? Like, like, like you know, I don't want him to shut down. I want him to keep being friendly to people. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it's hard. Tell me about your daughter. Like, what, what, what do you see for her? What's that? Well, that's it, is, is that she has that same kind of that golden heart and that innocence and that desire to, to connect. And it's just so genuine and, and loving. But at this, this, I also feel, because she's five now. How old's Kaleo? Three and a half. Okay, yeah. So I, something's shifted in this last year where I couldn't imagine being in this place a year and a half ago, but I've noticed more of like where she is now. I, like something's come online for me as a father where it's like, oh, it's time to toughen her up a little bit. There's, mm-hmm. She's going to benefit. and I, it, But I couldn't imagine that a year and a half ago. I was like, no, 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 protect. But I can feel this father energy coming. I was like, all right, let's create some challenges for her. Let's, let's, let's not let her get too soft here. And, and so I'm glad that that's online. And I feel that part of me that, that wants to create challenges for her, for her to step into so she can look at it and be like, wow, I, I did that. I, I, I'm okay. And yeah, um, yeah I love that. The, the physical side of thing, like for, for me, it's martial arts, the, the being an entrepreneur, you know, I, I want to, when my child is, children are older, uh, so I don't know what age it would be, maybe 10, 11, 12, you know, like, okay, here's $10, go and turn it into $20. And then I'll give you another mm-hmm. 20 on top, you know, like give like, what would you do? You be an entrepreneur from a young age. Imagine you had that skill from a young age mm-hmm. to go and, and and the only way you do it is to make a difference to somebody's life. Imagine they learned how to do that. Yeah, That'd be an extraordinary gift to give to your kids. Yeah, I'm excited for this generation. I mean, there's things that you've done uh, in the work that I've done with you that you've created with with us. That uh, it's like, man, I, why am I learning this now in my 40s instead of, you know, it would have been fantastic to learn this in my in my teens. Because it, what it does is it, for me, it just shatters stories that I have about life. 
Like when we move through these things and well, we thought life was this way, that money was this way or that uh, business was this way or whatever, that relationships or people were this way. When we test those things and they just can't hold water anymore, anymore we can't tell ourselves limiting stories anymore either. I think that's it. I watched my son come into the world with not a single belief about life, not one. You don't come into this world with any beliefs. And as you grow older, you start taking on beliefs from your parents, from your community, from your culture, from your, your religion, from your race, whatever it is. You start taking on these beliefs and you think the world is this way. And, and, and none of them are true. Like we, we are God with a small g. We, we create our own world and the, we live into the stories we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. I lived into a story that I had to prove myself to my dad. I lived into a story that I was supposed to be a nice guy, that I wanted you to like me. And that, and that turned out to be the way it is. And I don't think it's a coincidence, by the way, you know, you're saying when you're 40-something. Like, same for me. It's like late 30s, 40s. Uh, it, there comes a moment where however we've been in life, there, there's a cost to it. And, and at that point, we start to feel the pain of like what's got me here is actually holding me back from what's what's possible for me. Right. And 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 you know, for some men it'll be why they buy a racing car or they have an affair. For more conscious men, it's when they start on this path of like personal growth. Like, what is going on? What's happening in my world? And 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 I think that's why we're here right now. So I don't know whether we can avoid it. I don't know this next generation if they learn this stuff at a young age or it's just going to happen anyway because they're going to have their, their their beliefs about life anyway. At some point, yeah. they're going to feel that cost, and I think it happens. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think these are just developmental stages. Uh, and if you are more awake, you are more aware, you're going to realize that things didn't stop whenever you got out of college, um, that there's more and more stages as we go. So uh, I think you're, you're right on track there. And and I see these stages seeming to get sooner, earlier and earlier. There's people that I get I get emails from guys that listen to the new man that are in their early twenties. There's no way the new man would have been on the on my radar as a yeah. young in my early twenties. Like there's just I just wasn't thinking about that stuff. And uh, but more and more the young people are thinking about these things. And they're asking themselves themselves these deeper questions. And I think this development's getting accelerated, which means there's more room for the next level, the next phases of things to open up. It's exciting. That's really cool. Just imagining for for our, for our kids' generation, for for, for millennial, millennials, like what what's possible when they have access to this kind of material yeah. at this age. Yeah, we're going to be the stodgy old farts that are stuck in their ways and and yeah. you know, not not developing. Not you know they're the ones they're going to be rebelling against us. So yes, uh, that's exciting. Well, thanks so much, Rich. I've enjoyed talking with you. I'm glad I threw away the script that I had, and uh, I just really enjoyed connecting with you on this level. I hope we get to do it again. Me too, me too. It's the only way I like to play. I, you know, when I coach, uh, there is no agenda. It's just me and the person in the room. When I, when I run an event, there is no agenda. Uh, it's just like me and the, the people in the room and we see where we go. And I, I say to people, like, they say, well, you know, what's, what's on the curriculum? I say, I'll tell you once the event is over, then you'll know. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.